Welcome to our weekly podcast and happy Mother's Day weekend. I love the story of how Mother's Day came to be a national holiday. More than 100 years ago, just before the start of World War I, Congress came together and passed a resolution to honor mothers on the second Sunday in May. It was President Woodrow Wilson, our 28th president, who called on the American people to put up flags as an expression of our love and reverence for the mothers of our country. So Mother's Day has been a national holiday ever since. To all the mothers who are listening online this weekend, or if you decide to join us in person, we are so grateful to have you in our lives. Motherhood is a sacred privilege given by God, and we recognize all that you do, the visible things and the things that happen behind the scenes on a daily basis. We are so grateful for you. Not too long ago, my wife read through a book called Raising Sons to be Men by Rhonda Stope. I think that's a pretty fitting title because we're raising four boys. But the author makes it clear that the book was written for any mom who desires to raise her kids by God's design. The introduction of the book looks to the example of several mothers in the Bible. It looks at their successes, their failures, and some of the lessons that Christian mothers can learn and apply in their own lives. When my wife first talked to me about this book, it got me thinking about one of my favorite passages in the New Testament that highlights the faithfulness of two godly mothers. Today, we're going to read from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Now, while today's message was written with mothers and grandmothers in mind, the truths that we see in this passage are really for all parents, and there's something here for every believer. If you have a Bible with you, I'd like to invite you to turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I've been sent out to tell others about the life he's promised through faith in Christ Jesus. I'm writing to Timothy, my dear son. May God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord give you grace, mercy, and peace. Timothy, I thank God for you. The God I serve with a clear conscience, just as my ancestors did. Night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. I long to see you again, for I remember your tears as we parted, and I will be filled with joy when we're together again. I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I know that same faith continues strong in you. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. When the Apostle Paul wrote the letter we know as 2 Timothy, his circumstances in life had drastically changed. He was now a prisoner in Rome. And 2 Timothy 4, verse 6 tells us that the time of his death was drawing near. So we know this was towards the end of his life. Most of his friends and partners in ministry, they were gone. In fact, only Luke was left to help him. This was a major life storm for Paul. Yet even though he was living in the discomfort of a jail cell, his concern was not for himself. He used the time that God gave him to encourage other believers and to tell people about the hope that's found through faith in Jesus. Paul wanted people to know that what God had done for him he could also do for them. And friends, that's the hope that we get to share every single day with people, that what God has done in our lives, he can do in theirs as well. In his first letter to Timothy, 
Paul encouraged this young pastor to remain faithful regardless of what was going on around him. A key verse in that first letter is 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, which says, Don't let anyone think less of you because you're young. Be an example to all believers in what you say and the way you live and your love, your faith, and your purity. We know from Paul's letters that Timothy was timid. And he was often tempted to let other people take advantage of him. Paul wanted him to know that these things didn't have to stand in the way of God using him in a meaningful way. And what a reminder for us today about how God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. Remember, where we're weak, God is strong. He can use the areas of our lives that we think are insignificant, the things that we feel like maybe couldn't accomplish anything good for him. God can use those areas in our lives. Timothy meant a lot to Paul. Paul prayed for him every day, and he looked forward to seeing him again. And I think we all understand what this feels like to some degree. There's people in our lives whom we miss because they either live far away or busy schedules keep us from seeing each other. Well, even though they weren't able to see each other at this point in time, you know, because Paul was in prison for spreading the good news about Jesus and Timothy was pastoring the church at Ephesus, these two had a very special relationship. What we learn about Timothy in this short introduction is that he had a genuine or a sincere faith in Jesus. The Greek word for our English word genuine literally means without hypocrisy or undisguised. Timothy was the real deal, and Paul knew this about him. I have the feeling that Paul was able to smell a phony from a mile away. 2 Timothy 1, verse 5 Paul says, I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. You know, God absolutely gets all the glory for the work that had been done in Timothy's life. But at the same time, Paul felt it was important to mention the fact that Timothy was also a byproduct of his upbringing. His grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice were intentional about raising him to know and follow Jesus. These two women had a genuine faith in Jesus, and that faith was caught by Timothy at a young age. This morning, I'd like for us to look to their example as we talk about three important characteristics of all godly mothers. Number one, if you're taking notes, godly mothers are women of genuine faith. Timothy's faith reminded Paul of the two women who were intentional about instilling faith in him. Lois, Timothy's grandmother, and Eunice, his mother, were women of genuine faith. Now, we don't know when these two women first believed, when they first started following Jesus, but we do know that Eunice, Timothy's mother, was a Jewish believer. She may have come to faith through Paul's preaching. In Acts chapter 16, we read about how Timothy's father was a Greek. He was not a Christian. And we're not told why a godly woman like Eunice would have married a man who was an unbeliever. But that was part of Timothy's upbringing. The Old Testament is very clear that Jews were not allowed to marry outside their faith. One author, when commenting on this passage, wrote that perhaps Eunice, though raised by Lois in a faithful Jewish home, went through a time of rebellion during which she got married but later came to faith in Jesus. He goes on to say that we can only speculate. So we don't know the details behind the circumstances of Timothy's upbringing and and certainly Eunice's life. But I do believe that her story gives hope to the Christian mother who's married to an unbeliever. 
If her son, Timothy, could grow up to follow Jesus with his life, then God can do the same for kids today, regardless of their upbringing. And while God's design for the home is that fathers would take the lead in the spiritual training of their children, mothers are meant to have great influence as well. The most important quality or characteristic that a successful mother needs to have is a genuine faith in Jesus. Remember, that word genuine means without hypocrisy or undisguised. So it's possible to have a hypocritical, non-genuine kind of faith. A disguised faith is the mask that's put on in front of people at church or out in public, but quickly taken off in the home. My wife and I are raising four sons, and I can tell you with absolute certainty, they can smell phoniness from a mile away. I heard a story this past week about a pastor who had been preaching a sermon series on the importance of reading God's word and connecting with God through prayer on a daily basis. I don't know this guy, but I already like him. I like talking about these things. Well, he and his wife were invited over to a church member's house for dinner, and the pastor's wife noticed that someone in the house had written these words on the family calendar. It said, dinner with pastor and the family, dust all Bibles. (laughs) Having a genuine faith doesn't mean that you're perfect, but it does mean that you know and follow Jesus, that you learn from him to live like him. This is the kind of faith that Lois and Eunice had. They had the same genuine faith at home as they had when they were out on the town and the same kind of faith that they had when they gathered with God's people on Sunday morning. Having a genuine faith means sincerely believing in Jesus as your Savior and Lord, It means walking with him daily, spending time in God's word, connecting with him through prayer. It means that God's word is the ultimate authority in your life. It's what your life is built on. It means that when you sin and mess up, and and we all do, we all will, that you repent. You ask for forgiveness and you allow God to continue molding and shaping your life. Having a genuine faith means having an attitude of gratitude. It's experiencing a kind of joy that the world cannot take away. And it's knowing God's peace that surpasses all human understanding. When you have a genuine faith, your kids will realize that while mom is not perfect, she does walk with God. Godly mothers are women of genuine faith. The second important characteristic is that godly mothers love God's word and train their children in it. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 14 through 17 says, But you must remain faithful to the things you've been taught. You know they're true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You've been taught the holy scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what's right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Lois and Eunice loved God's word, and they were intentional about training Timothy up in it. When Paul said, you know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you, he was reminding Timothy about how God's word had impacted Lois and Eunice's lives and how he could trust the people who modeled and passed down God's word to him. He could look at their lives, the way that they lived, and know with absolute certainty that God's word was reliable. Timothy had been taught God's word from a young age, which in turn led him to believe in Jesus. 
Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Christian parents, you can either instill faith in your children by training them up in the word and by living it out in your own life, or someone else will train them up in something else. Parents are meant to be the primary influence in their kids' lives. You know, we need other people. We need the church. My wife and I need other Christian families to come around our family to build relationships with our kids. But the primary influence in our kids' lives needs to come from us. It needs to come from mom and dad. I've said before that faith is caught as well as taught. Both of these avenues begin with the word. God's word is alive and active. So mothers, the best thing that you can do for your children is to instill in them from an early age the importance of reading, studying, memorizing, and obeying God's word. If this is the best thing that you can do for your children, and I believe that it is, what are some of the practical steps that you can take to make it a priority in your home? It starts by growing in your own love for the word. You can't impart what you don't possess. So this has a lot more to do with faith being caught than it does being taught. If our kids rarely hear us talking about God's word, if they never see us reading God's word, and if they don't see how the word is changing our lives, we can't expect them to catch it for themselves. You know, if the TV is always on at home, but the Bible is collecting dust, our kids will grow up believing that man's word is more important than God's word. Growing up, my wife was at her grandparents' house a lot. She came from a blended family, so she spent a lot of time with them. Every time she stayed the night at their house, she would wake up to the exact same thing. Her grandma was reading scripture at the kitchen table before breakfast, and her grandpa was studying in his office. Even now, when her grandma calls, she typically has something to share with her about what she's reading and learning in the Bible. If you were to ask my wife, who's had the biggest spiritual impact in her life? She would say, absolutely, her grandparents. They made the most of every opportunity, instilling faith in all of their grandchildren. Instilling faith in our children starts with our own love for the word. Even if it's just five minutes a day, I want to encourage you to spend time in the Word. Talk about what you're reading with your kids. And give them a front row seat to all that God is doing in your life. I personally love to use the YouVersion Bible app. There are thousands of reading plans and devotionals that you can choose from that cover every topic imaginable. I think it's a great way to build a healthy habit of Bible reading and growing in your love for the Word. Another practical step that you can take to make God's word a priority in your home is to use the word to lead your children to Jesus. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15 says, You've been taught the holy scriptures from childhood, and they've given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. So parents, as we grow in knowledge, in application, and in our love for the word, we should look for opportunities to use God's word to lead our children to Jesus. The church is crucial in the spiritual formation of the family, but it's only meant to be a supplement to what's already taking place in the home. If the church wasn't here, I want you to ask yourself this question. Would your kids ever hear about Jesus? Where should our kids first hear the good news about Jesus? It's in the home. Where should the primary instruction come from? It's in the home. A great way to gain experience sharing your faith with other people is actually by sharing your faith with your kids. 
Something that we've gotten away from in our home in recent months, but that we would like to get back to, is reading the Bible together as a family. When we read God's word to our kids, they get a front row seat to others who've made right choices, others who've made wrong choices. They get a front row seat to lives that were ruined by sin and lives that were saved by grace. They hear stories of children whose parents were godly, but the children decided not to follow Jesus. They hear stories of parents who were ungodly, but the children chose to believe and they chose to follow. They learn the importance of viewing prayer as our first line of offense, not our last line of defense. And they learn that we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus. An important privilege and responsibility for all Christian mothers is to use God's word to lead your children to Jesus. A third practical step that you can take to make God's word a priority in your home is to train your children in how to live by the word. This is so important. One thing that I love about the Bible is how it's always fresh. It's always relevant. It's always true. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says that by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We've received all of this by coming to know him, the one who calls us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. And 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says that all scripture is inspired by God or God breathed and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what's right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So God's word convicts us. It corrects us by showing us how to live for God and it trains us in righteousness God's word wasn't given to satisfy our curiosity about the universe or to entertain us with interesting stories. It was given to be profitable for how we live, to correct us and to help keep us on God's path and to point us to the only one who's truly worthy of praise. Mothers, give your kids the opportunity to see how you apply God's word to your own life and then teach them, train them up in the word as they learn what it means to follow Jesus themselves. God wants to use your life as a vehicle for raising the next generation to know and follow Jesus. I believe that mothers are meant to be world changers. This is an amazing privilege and an awesome responsibility. The third characteristic that I'd like to talk about is that godly mothers can make an eternal impact in the lives of their children. God used Paul to impact Timothy's life in a major way. But you know who was in Timothy's life first? Do you know who decided to make the most out of the most impressionable years in Timothy's life? That foundation was laid by his grandmother Lois and by his mother Eunice. Friends, it's not too much to argue that world history is shaped in the home through godly mothers. It was President Theodore Roosevelt who once said, When all is said, it is the mother and the mother only who is a better citizen than the soldier who fights for his country. The successful mother, the mother who does her part in rearing and training the boys and girls who are to be the men and women of the next generation, is of greater use to the community and occupies, if she only would realize it, a more honorable as well as more important position than any man in it. 
I don't think Roosevelt was trying to disparage the crucial role of godly fathers in the home. We need that now more than ever. Instead, he was encouraging mothers to rise to the occasion and to thrive in the role that God has given you. So three important characteristics of all godly mothers. One, godly mothers are women of genuine faith. It starts with your own relationship with God. Two, godly mothers love God's word and train their children in it. And three, godly mothers can make an eternal impact in the lives of their children. Mothers are meant to be world changers. If you feel like you've gotten off track, start by seeking God and confessing the areas where you feel like you've fallen short. You know, God always honors repentance. Ask him to help you be faithful right where you're at, to be faithful in the small things. Even if your children are grown, God still wants to use you as an example in their lives and certainly in the lives of all the kids that are here at church each week. I believe God wants to use every mother listening to this podcast this week, just like he used Lois and Eunice. Walk with God in genuine faith. Use his word to lead your children and grandchildren to Jesus. And remember that your influence in the lives of your children can influence the world for Jesus' sake. 